Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. The Gospel of John chapter 20. We'll be reading the entire chapter this morning. If you've been with us uh, on Wednesday night for the last uh, several weeks, we have been working our way through uh, John's uh, account of Jesus last night with his disciples, his upper room discourse as he prepared his disciples for the events that were about to transpire. Then in our Good Friday service, we considered chapters 18 and, and 19 as uh, the account of Jesus' betrayal, arrest, Condemnation, uh, crucifixion, and burial uh, is set uh, before us. And this morning, we come to the good news of the resurrection. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. This is the very Word of God. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been uh, on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes." But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Jesus said to them, or she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them 
and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told them, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my fingers into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That is the reading of God's word. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon the preaching of his word here this morning. Father, we come before you humbly this morning, asking that your spirit would attend to the preaching of your word, that it might, according to your promise, not return void, but accomplish its purpose. May it bring forth faith in our hearts, Father, and may it produce fruit in our lives to the praise of your glory. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning, that we might see your Son risen from the dead and hear the good news of his victory over death, that we might believe and that we might rest in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to draw your attention specifically to those last two verses of chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Here John tells us his purpose in writing. His purpose in writing not only this chapter, but, but really his entire gospel, of which this chapter is the climax and the crescendo. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. This, this gospel doesn't contain everything he did. He, he did many other things, but these are written for a very specific purpose. These are written in this book that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. That is John's purpose. He, he writes that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. And of course, that's not only John's purpose. But that is my purpose this morning in, in preaching from John's text. It's, it's the purpose really of everything we do here at Trinity. Everything we do is, is designed to proclaim to you the good news of this gospel that you might believe in Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners and that by believing in Him you might have life in His name. It's why John wrote his gospel. It's why we expound the gospel and it is my hope for you this morning that if you do not yet know Him, that you will see Him risen from the dead this morning and in John's text, and that you will come to believe in Him. Because I suspect that if you are here this morning, 
It is almost certain that you knew before you got here that you were coming to a celebration of Jesus' resurrection. That's what Easter is. It's, it's what we do. Of course, in some sense, we, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection every Sunday. But on Easter in particular, we are remembering and, and celebrating Jesus' victorious resurrection from the dead. And it's almost certain that you knew that before you got here. However, that said, I, I suspect that there are some here who don't believe it. There are some here who, who don't know that it's true. You knew the, the plot before you, you got here, but you never, you never really thought it was historical fact. You, you never thought that, there, that the idea of resurrection made any empirical sense. The story may contain some spiritual truths, but it isn't factual. From your perspective, this, the story of Jesus rising from the dead is, is no more true than the story of the phoenix rising from the ashes. And that can be true of you, whether you are a regular church attender here every Sunday, or whether this is the only Sunday of the year when you show up. There are some who, who sit in the pew every Sunday and yet, and yet don't really believe that this is true. They, they don't really believe that, that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. They do not live their life out of this resurrection hope. And there are others who are here simply because it's what you do on Easter Sunday. But regardless of why you are here this morning, I'm glad that you are here. And whatever your reasons for coming, I want you to know that my hope for you, that, that my prayer for you is that by God's grace, you will come to believe not only the story, but you will come to believe in the one whom the story is about. Now that may strike you as unlikely, impossible even. You, you may think that, that no rational, reasonable, intelligent person could, could ever believe the story of the resurrection to be anything more than a myth, anything more than a, than a fable. Again, some of, some of you who are here every Sunday may, may struggle to believe that it's, it's more than a, a myth. I understand. I understand how hard it is to believe in the resurrection has historical facts. And what I want you to see this morning, the first thing I want you to see this morning, is that the first witnesses shared your skepticism. We sometimes think that it was easier for the first witnesses to, to believe because, after all, they were simple-minded, pre-scientific people. But that simply isn't true. On the contrary, the, the first witnesses were, were just like you and me. They were, they were people who doubted. They were people who, who knew that the idea of resurrection was incredible. They were people who, who knew that it was literally unbelievable that someone should rise from the dead. We see this first in, in Mary. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. We're told that on the first day, on the first day because she had rested on the Sabbath as a good Jew, on the first day of the week, Mary came to the tomb early early in the morning, under the cover of darkness. Maybe that she was anxious to get there. It may be that she, she wanted not to be seen. We're not exactly sure, but she's coming to the tomb early. And why is she coming? Luke tells us that she was bringing spices for Jesus' body. She was coming to finish the job left unfinished on Good Friday in the rush to get Jesus off the cross and into the tomb. 
But when she arrives at the tomb, what does she find? She finds that the stone to the entrance has been moved. The stone has been rolled away. So what does she think? What are her first thoughts? Well, her first thought is not, Hallelujah, He is risen. Not at all. But rather, her her first thought is, her, her assumption is that someone has stolen the body. And no doubt she fears what they intend to do with it. She, she can imagine all the ways that Jesus' enemies would, would mistreat and desecrate the body in order to, to flaunt their apparent victory. And so when she sees the stone rolled away, her heart is broken. And she runs to tell Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which is almost certainly a reference to John himself. So think about that for a moment. When Mary arrives at the tomb and finds the stone rolled away, she does not immediately assume that Jesus is risen. As far as we can tell, the the thought doesn't even cross her mind. But rather she assumes that the body has been stolen and she goes and she tells Peter and John. Such is her unbelief. Of course, we see Peter and John's unbelief next in verses 3 through 8. We're told that when Peter and John hear Mary's report, they immediately set out for the tomb running. Now, John must have been in better shape because he outruns Peter and he he gets there first, but when he arrives at the tomb, he he doesn't go in. He sort of hangs at the the entrance, glancing in, bending around to, to see. But Peter, being Peter... When he gets to the tomb, he immediately enters in. No doubt huffing and puffing. But when he enters the tomb, what does he see? He sees the the linen cloth and he sees the the face cloth off to the side. Folded. Not exactly what you would expect to see if Jesus' body had been stolen. And that's why verse 8 has traditionally been understood to mean that when they saw the empty tomb, they believed that Jesus had, had risen from the dead. Even before Jesus, before seeing Jesus himself, they believed. But I'm not sure that's what verse 8 means. I, I'm not sure that what, that's what John means when he says that they believed. In fact, I think it's more likely that he means they believed Mary's report. When they saw that the tomb was empty, they believed what Mary had told them. They they didn't believe that he was risen, but they believed that the body had been stolen just as Mary had said. We see this, I think, in verses 9 and 10. Notice that little word for at the beginning of verse 9. For, John is is giving us the, the reason that they believed what they believed. And why did they believe what they believed? They believed because as yet they did not understand. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And so upon seeing the empty tomb, they believe Mary's report that the body has been stolen because they didn't understand that he was going to rise from the dead. And that's confirmed, I think, for us by by verse 10. Because what do they do? When they leave the tomb, they go home. Compare that with the response of the two disciples whom whom Jesus met as they were walking on the road to Emmaus. You remember the story. It's recorded for us at the end of of John's Gospel. 
Jesus walks with, with two disciples leaving Jerusalem on their way home to Emmaus, and he explains to them that all these things happened according to the Scripture. He, he gives them an, a lesson in the Old Testament, how it points all to Christ and to his death and to his, his resurrection. And then in the breaking of bread that evening, he gives them eyes to see. He is revealed to them, and they understand he is risen. And so what do they do? Even though it is night, even though they've already traveled some seven miles from Jerusalem, they immediately run back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples, we have seen the Lord. It's the same thing that Mary does in, in verse 18. When she finally has her eyes opened, she runs and, and tells the disciples immediately, I have seen the Lord. Peter and John go home. They do not yet believe. At least they do not believe that he's risen. They believe Mary's report. They believe the body has been stolen. And so what do we see as you, as you put these pieces together? We see that upon seeing the empty tomb, it was easier for the first witnesses to believe that grave robbers had, had carefully removed Jesus' clothes and, and wrapped them up and, and placed them on the ledge of the tomb. It was easier to believe in polite grave robbers than it was for them to believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. In other words, we see that the first witnesses were not simple-minded, gullible ancients. But they were people just like us. People who know that, that dead people don't rise from the dead three days after being brutally executed by professional killers. And just in case we missed it, John returns to Mary's unbelief again in, in verse 11. Look, at, look what he writes. Peter and John have gone to their homes, but Mary remains now at the tomb, and she remains there weeping. In fact, she is so distraught, she doesn't even recognize the angel she finds sitting in the tomb. Look at with me at, at verse 12. We're told that, that she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord. She, she doesn't recognize these as the, the servants of the Lord, as the host of heaven come to earth. And so she asks them, Where is the body? They, they've taken away my Lord. And not only does she not recognize the angels, she doesn't even recognize Jesus. Verse 15 we said, Jesus says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she supposes him to be the gardener. She supposes him to be the one there to, to take care of the garden in which he, she found the tomb. And again, she does not recognize. She does not yet believe. But of course, this is where the story turns. Because in verse 16, Jesus says to her simply, Mary. He calls her by name. He, he identifies her. And when she hears her name on the lips of her Savior, on the lips of her Lord, at that moment, recognition dawns. At that moment, she knows who Jesus is. And she turns and she cries out, Rabboni, teacher. Suddenly, Mary knows. Suddenly, she believes a new story. 
Of course, she doesn't have full comprehension yet. I'm sure she is terribly confused, but she knows that Jesus stands before her. She knows that he is not dead, but alive. And so her reaction is is understandable. She grabs him. She she embraces him. she, She clings to him, seemingly overwhelmed with joy and bewilderment. And it's at this point that Jesus says to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now there's a whole sermon just in that statement alone. I'm going to have to preach it another time. Well, we'll have to understand why Jesus won't let Mary cling. Why it's so important that he ascends to the Father that he might send the Spirit, which he had told his disciples earlier in the upper room, that it is to your advantage that I go. But what I want you to see this morning is simply that Mary didn't believe until she couldn't not believe. She didn't believe until she saw Jesus standing before her with her own eyes, until she heard Jesus call her name with her own ears. She didn't believe until she couldn't not believe. And we see the same thing with the disciples beginning in verse 19. Again, notice that the disciples are locked in an upper room. Why are they locked away? Why have they hidden themselves? John tells us that they were locked away for fear of the Jews. They feared that the one who had killed their master would soon be coming after them. It's a clear expression of their unbelief. But then what happens? Jesus comes and stands in their midst. He says to them, peace, probably the last thing they were feeling, peace be with you. He he gives them his peace. He gives them his shalom before commissioning them to go forth as his witnesses, witnesses to his resurrection. Witnesses to to the fact that he is indeed risen victorious over death and that they might go and proclaim the good news of his victory even to the ends of the earth. But what I want you to see is that as when they see Jesus, as when they receive his peace, that they believe. And we know that they believe because of what happens next. We are told in verse 24 that that Thomas wasn't present when when Jesus appeared to them. He wasn't with them. And so naturally, what do the disciples do now that they believe? They don't just go home, but they tell Thomas. (coughs) They tell him, we have seen the Lord. Now we'll get to Thomas' story in, in just a moment. But again, notice the difference. Now they know. Now they have seen him. Now they can't not believe. And so they proclaim to their brother who was not with them, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. We know that he is risen in the flesh. We know that he is not dead, but alive. And again, what we see is that it wasn't easy for the first witnesses to to believe. It wasn't natural. They weren't looking for a reason to believe. But on the contrary, it was belief that was easy. It was belief or unbelief that was natural. It was easy for them not to believe. And they actually failed to to see. They actually failed to see the evidence until it was incontrovertible. They failed to believe until Jesus was literally standing before them. 
until I saw them with their own eyes. These are the witnesses who testify to the truth, who testify to the fact of Jesus' resurrection. And so if you are here this morning and you think it is impossible for a reasonable, rational, intelligent person to believe in the resurrection, I want to challenge that assumption directly. I want to challenge you to see this morning that it is actually the other way around. A reasonable, rational, intelligent person is actually compelled to believe in the resurrection by the evidence. To deny the resurrection is to disregard the evidence because you have decided ahead of time that it can't be true. To disbelieve the resurrection is to to disregard the testimony of those who themselves struggled to believe until they couldn't not believe. You ever had a conversation with someone who was so sure they knew something they were willing to disregard a mountain of evidence to the contrary? Have you ever been that person? We know what it's like. We we know what it's like to, to speak to someone who just simply will not be convinced because they've already made up their mind. Every parent has had that conversation. Well, I want you to hear me say this morning that the person who denies the resurrection is like that person. The person who denies the resurrection is disregarding the evidence because they have already decided ahead of time that it can't be true. It's why the Apostle Paul goes to such great lengths in in 1 Corinthians 15. Remember what he says. He says, Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he adds... He appeared to Cephas, that is, Peter. And to the twelve, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He lists witness after witness after witness. Witnesses who, who saw Jesus in the flesh. 500 at one time who saw him, most of whom are, are still alive. Why would he include such a detail? Why does he tell us that these witnesses are are still alive? It's so that you can go and ask them. If you don't believe me, I've seen him, but but so have all of these other witnesses, 500 at one time, most of whom are, are still alive. Paul wants us to know that we have very good reason for believing in the resurrection. But that being said, it is not enough simply to believe in the resurrection. It is not enough simply to believe that it happened. We must also understand its significance. Because moving from belief to faith means moving from understanding the fact to understanding what was accomplished. This morning we have seen that the first witnesses struggled to believe until they couldn't not believe. But now we need to see the significance of what it is they believed. And we see this in the account of Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas because he doubts. We, we see this in, in verse 25 when the other disciples tell him that, that they have seen Jesus His reply is infamous. He says, unless I see his hands and the marks of the nails and and place my fingers into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Unless I actually touch him, 
Unless I see that he is truly flesh and blood, I will not believe. Surely at this point he, he must think that the disciples had, had seen a ghost or had seen some kind of illusion. He says, no, I will not believe unless I touch him with my own hands. It's just another example of what we have already seen. The, the difficulty of belief even for the ancients. But of course, this goes a step further because now is he not only not believing in the impossible, but he's not believing the, the testimony of those who had seen. He is doubting Thomas. But nevertheless, in his abounding grace and mercy, Jesus condescends to appear to Thomas. And when he does, Thomas is not only moved from unbelief to belief, but he is moved to make a profound confession of faith. Look again at verse 28. When Jesus appears to Thomas, when Jesus offers his hands and his side for Thomas to touch, how does Thomas answer? He says, my Lord and my God. First, Thomas confesses that the one who stands before him is his Lord. The one who, who stands before him is his master. The one who, who stands before him is the one that he has been following for the past three years. Jesus, risen from the dead. This is the same man. He confesses that this is my Lord. But then he adds, and my God. This is new. This is moving from belief to faith. Thomas confesses that Jesus is not only his Lord, but that he is God in human flesh. Now the readers of John's Gospel have known this from the very beginning. From the very first verse of chapter 1, where we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is this Word that, that came and tabernacled among us. It is this Word that, that took on human flesh and, and dwelt in our midst. The readers have, have known this from the beginning. But Thomas is the first one in the story to, to reach this conclusion. He is the first one to, to make this confession. And it is the fact of the resurrection that moves him there. When Thomas sees Jesus risen from the dead, when he, when he touches his hands, when he, when he touches his, his side, he knows that Jesus is not only his Lord, but Jesus is his God. But why? Why does Thomas reach that conclusion? Why does Thomas make that confession? It must be that Jesus' resurrection was unique. Think about it. Others have been called forth from the tomb by the power of God. Others, through the, the ministry of a, of a prophet such as Elisha or, or Elijah, had, had, had been raised from the dead. But Jesus, Jesus had come forth of His own accord. He had laid down His life and He had taken it up again. 
He had not been called out of the grave the way that, that Lazarus had been called out. But rather, he came out of the grave by his own authority. Only God has such authority. Therefore, with his eyes being opened by the mercy of the Holy Spirit, uh, Thomas makes the great confession, my Lord and my God. He knows that Jesus is God in the flesh. And no doubt as the Spirit opened his mind, leading him into the truth, all the pieces began to fall into place. Probably slowly, probably over time, but he began to see what had always been in front of his face. But what he now understood for the first time, oh, oh, he must have thought, this is the reason he taught like no one else. This is the reason that, that he never said the Lord says, but he always said, I say. This is the reason that he commanded the storm, not in the Lord's name, but on his own authority, and it obeyed him. This is the reason that he could walk on the waves of the sea. This is the reason that he commanded demons and, and why demons were subject to even them in his name. This is the reason he had authority to forgive sins. It all begins to make sense. Jesus is God. In the person of Jesus, God has come in human flesh. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. He didn't simply send a prophet to teach us how we might save ourselves. He didn't simply send a prophet to, to show us how we might reconcile ourselves to God. But He came in the flesh to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came to lay down His life as the ransom for ours and then to take it up again for our justification. He came to defeat death by His death. He came to disarm the one who wielded the power of death by taking the record of death that stood against us and nailing it to His cross and then rising victorious over it announcing the debt is paid, the debt is canceled. No more to be counted against those who have sinned. By His death and resurrection, our guilt has been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And now in Him, we are the heirs of eternal life. This is the Gospel. The one who believes in Him as my Lord and my God. The one who knows Him to be Emmanuel. The one who knows Him to be the risen Savior. That one, Paul says, will never be put to shame. All who call on His name will not perish, but have eternal life. Because the resurrection is true. Because the resurrection is fact. Because on the third day, He rose again victorious over sin and death. This is the Gospel. Do you believe it? Yes. I pray that you do. Amen. Father God, we come before You humbly asking for the gift of faith. Father, we are we are by nature unbelievers. We are by nature doubters. 
And even those of us who have been in your church all our lives, even those of us who have believed this from from birth, Father, we can struggle to believe it in the midst of this present evil age. We can struggle to believe it when we pass through the valley of the shadow of death. We can struggle to believe it when you allow the the floods to, to, to come and the fires to rage. Father God, give us faith. Give us eyes to see Your Son, Jesus, our Lord and our God. Give us eyes to see that He is indeed risen from the dead. Give us faith to rest in the Apostles' testimony. Give us faith to entrust ourselves to Him that we might not perish, but have eternal life. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.